Welcome to this episode of Sultry Athletic Negligence. Did I use that one already? <laughs> no, no, I don't think, no, I've certainly never so. heard it before. I'm not sure what the thought, the complete thought is yeah. with that name. Damn it. Those are three Sultry words I all like, but I don't know what negligence. that what picture I get from that. Well, if you if you if you I take a picture of fat guy. Yeah. It's well, super sultry. Yeah, I like it. But yeah, take athletic negligence as a term unto itself. So athletic mm. negligence is to neglect one's athleticism, but to do it in a kind of sexy way. Sultry athletic negligence. This might be the first time. This might be the first time that we double someone up. I believe this uh, this person at French Fries and Fitness has already suggested one that we've used, and I I think I remember using it before because I think I remember saying I like the Instagram handle French Fries and Fitness. Mm. So if we have, thank you, French Fries and Fitness. If we haven't. Mm -hmm. Congratulations! Yeah, um, support the homies. So, you guys, we have a we have a pretty we have a pretty packed day of stuff to talk about today because, uh, well, there's more CrossFit game stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Thought that and was done. I thought we were done with the game. Yeah, I think I think they they've completely tanked it. Just shut it down completely at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also we have our movie night to get to. Yes, that's yes, true. So we should probably just get all this what? CrossFit junk out of the way as quickly as possible so we can start talking about the movie. Did you do your homework, Scale as Nation? Did you do your movie homework? We'll get to that question in a minute. <laughs> if not, pause now. Yeah, come back three hours from now after right. watching Heat. Um, so to update, where were we? So the last time I think we did the bonus episode right after they announced all the details. Dave Castro had just revealed that he had wings and mm. could spit lava. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. That was pretty I exciting. I might be remembering moment. it completely differently. <laughs> that, that part didn't have a lot to do with the CrossFit games, but it was it was really interesting that everyone's uh, inner fear that Dave Castro is actually a fucking demon <laughs> was true. It was founded in reality. Just just an actual... He is, he's not a truth. classic demon, but yeah, he is more like a The Good Place demon. I do mm-hmm. want to talk about the Holy shit. Like I watched yeah. the first episode. And I'm I'm fucking hooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. Katie and I have blitzed through the entirety of the show. <laughs> <laughs> We've watched two seasons in the past six days. Yeah, it's and true. If, if Chase is on the first episode, point. we can't watch. We can't watch. But we're sorry, we can't discuss no, because he needs to watch. Because I, there are I also spoilers. have a terrible memory, so you guys could tell oh, me the no. whole plot. No, no, no. There's no. plenty. There's plenty. Don't want to spoil. That said, I think. The new episodes start at end of September, Correct. season three. So that seems like an excellent homework assignment for all the Scaleless Nation. Both the, fir- the first two seasons of The Good Place, fantastic show, are on Netflix now. Yep. So blitz through those first two seasons. And it's I think very we'll do, easy. Yeah, I, love and I think Ted we'll Danson. do weekly yes. reviews, weekly reviews uh, of the season as it unfolds. Yes, and uh, and so we can maybe finally we'll return to our weekly watch party uh, like we did with Westworld, and we've never found another show that we all actually wanted to watch, and we even stopped wanting to watch Westworld. I think Westworld kind of killed it for us. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you guys Westworld ever watched Bored to Death uh, no. on HBO? I watched Holy the first shit. season. Got Ted I was more of a Becker fan yeah. myself. I thought it was Ted super Danson. entertaining, and then it just disappeared. Hmm. Like all good things. Anyway. Yes. Like the CrossFit games are gone. <laughs> they are gone. <laughs> are the CrossFit games dead? Way to bring it back full circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer to that is a resounding no. No, as it They're turns not. out. Boo uh, this. W- what I think is that Dave Castro should break away and start his own CrossFit games. That's going to be tough to do. Yeah. Considering he's going to continue working for CrossFit. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Hard what to believe, a shocker. Right? Uh, a lot of people were kind of throwing this wackadoodle idea out there that like, you know, Cro- uh, G- Dave Castro and Justin Berg should buy the CrossFit games from 
uh, Greg Glassman and go run it themselves how they see fit. I'm they like, should go slay a dragon, take that dragon's giant mountain of gold, use it to buy the CrossFit games, and then do the CrossFit games elsewhere. Yes, yeah. that's exa- you may as well you may as well have said they should sprout wings and spit lava. Mm-hmm. That's really what you should have said because both both of those scenarios are, are impossible mm-hmm. uh, and equally probable. So that's not what's going to happen. Dave Castro is going to continue his role at CrossFit as the games director, games director as well as the head of their training, mm-hmm. and uh, he's going to just keep doing his work. I mean. I think a lot of people thought that there's going to be some sort of an ideological line being drawn here. Like this goes against everything Dave Castro stands for. I'm (laughs) like, you don't, you don't know this guy at all. Like you don't know this person. (laughs) What you know about him is, is like he's, he's had cornrows and officiated a wedding at CrossFit Games. (laughs) Like that's all you know about him. Yes. Which is, I mean, that's like, that's like 80% of it right there. Well, yeah, but basically you're buying what he sold you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think there's any reason to believe that there's going to be some sort of like crazy, like, uh, what's the equivalent of a race war within CrossFit? Uh, A race war. A race for I don't within like my CrossFit. odds in this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Easy. It, I, I just think Lily White. CrossFit I, I just is. think it's really hard to. I think it's really hard to uh, deal with the types of changes that are coming down mm-hmm. the line because people are so fucking entrenched in what it means to be like a CrossFit person. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard a lot of people talking about like, well, this makes the open meaningless. Why would I ever encourage anyone to participate in the open? I'm like, why have you been encouraging exactly. the open, <laughs> Wait, open to begin you with? Thought? Yeah, yeah. You like, thought. <laughs> like this <laughs> what part of this scenario yeah, yeah. actually makes it makes it worse to participate? Like, last time I, they had less chance. Yes. Yes. I I I I saw that criticism, the idea, the notion that like, well, why would anyone participate? And I've heard this multiple times. Why would anyone participate in the open if only the winner goes? And I'm like, we're talking about the nine like as is sending 40 men and 40 women in each region to go relative to the 400,000 that participated. You're <laughs> no, it's still just... the 99.999 percentile of people who are going to the CrossFit Games. So you can add another nine on there, but honestly, it shouldn't have affected anyone's motivation going into the Open at any other point because mathematically, it is a negligible difference. And I 100% agree with you. Yeah. I think it's I think it's fucking shenanigans that people are like. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's. I don't know what it is. Like I don't. I don't understand mm. people's like crazy attachment to what the CrossFit Games <laughs> format yeah. was at one point. Well, you're, it's. It, I think it ha- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think it has to do with uh, just people. Too many noobs. Too many people who've only been involved mm. with CrossFit since the games had its current format. Mm-hmm. It's like children who've always lived with their parents and they've seen their parents be nice normal people and are shocked to find out that they smoked weed one time as a child it's like you've only been with crossfit games since it's had this format uh it's a shock to you to realize to look back that things were way wackier back then Mm -hmm. we're constantly changing and shaken up and this has been an unusual period of stability but now uh, dad has been laid off at the factory and the family's going to have to move into a trailer. The plane has flown into the World Trade Center and the period of stability Jesus. is over with. It's too close to <laughs> September 11th for all that. This is true. And I think you're mistaking that some people have hope. And we don't have hope at this table. None of us have hope. That's true. And their aspiration was like, one day, it's attainable. I could go to the games or regionals through the Open. It was a silly dream in the first place. I know. The better, it's the earlier it's crushed, the better. <laughs> yep. So it's you're like not wasting down that the Wayne much Gretzky time. poster mm-hmm. in someone's home right now. <laughs> 
and that's the one area in which I can I can empathize with some criticism because up until this point, like I understand the emotional reaction because up until this point, it was an uh, a laudable accomplishment in and of itself to qualify certainly for the CrossFit Games, but even to qualify for regionals. It was it's it was a, a goal that seemed more attainable. It was something that maybe you know somebody or there's someone at your gym or something who is qualified for regionals. It was this feather in your cap. That aspect of the games, and that's the thing that's missing, because we've talked at length about how, oh, it ultimately doesn't affect who ends up on top of the podium, and it doesn't. It ultimately doesn't. As a test of who is the fittest on earth, nothing is affected. But what has been removed from the community is this, you know, a few hundred people, a few thousand people are going to get this unique feather in their cap of getting, you know, the fitness badge. They get to participate in the regional. They get to participate in the CrossFit Games if they're truly exceptional. And now those medals, those blue ribbons are no longer going to be handed out. And that has been the carrot, presumably, for a lot of people. But the thing is, it's being replaced with something that, again, we don't know yet, but something that ultimately is going to serve the main purpose of the CrossFit Games uh, just as well, which is finding the fittest person on earth but also i really do think in the long term could create a more vibrant and more participatory community around that event and so we've i'm sorry guys we don't have the same blue ribbons we have before but there could be this whole new thing which is actual sanctioned crossfit competitions that people could participate in right and i think uh we're just gonna have to all live with not being able to say hashtag regionals 2019 (laughs) it's like it's the hardest part of this entire thing like what am i going to put in all of my i'm doing two days uh hashtag heart hashtag commitment hashtag paleo that's right hashtag intermittent fasting hashtag hashtag nike athlete hashtag sarms hashtag athlete (laughs) you still put regionals 2019 you know what commit every one of your followers pretty much doesn't know what the fuck actually no on second thought guys on second thought guys i think we've just found our first scale is needed t-shirt Hashtag regionals 2019. We should all get matching tattoos that say hashtag mm. regionals 2019. And we should tag every post in the future. Hashtag regionals 2019. Even when it gets to 2021, 2022, <laughs> we should continue to tag everything. Hashtag well, regionals bios to regional athlete. Yeah, it's regional, regional athlete 2019. Well, it's like the, it'll be timeless like the Conan thing, uh, you know, uh, in the year 2000. In the year 2000. Uh, yeah. In the year 2000. Which continued on through the 90s, but... Past the year 2000. Exactly. So, regionals 2019 forever. It'll be a fun in-joke, you guys, and we'll all giggle a lot. Mm-hmm. Jesus, that was a long time ago. Now I'm just thinking about, man, I watched Conan for an- enough period <laughs> of time that I understood a gag and felt it go past its due date in the year... 20 years 20, ago. 20 years ago. That's that's a long time I'm ago. I'm an old, old man. Mm-hmm. Correct. You guys are all old, old men. Young men like Chase and myself who had a chance to actually make it to regionals. That's right. Mm. We're the ones who are suffering under this change, goddammit. Right. Also, the original blue feathers were the best blue feathers. Mm. What? Ribbons. Blue, fe- blue ribbons. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I told you my memory was terrible. I forgot what we just oh talked God. about. Sorry, it's magic the gathering on his brain. Uh, oh, shit, angelic feather. Uh, yeah, yeah I, think, I think people are... Someone also was like, what... This is only going to make it more expensive for uh, mm-hmm. my athletes to compete. I was like, why is it going to make it more expensive? Like, if anything, it might make it, like, without knowing where the 
competitions are, you actually have more chances to compete now. Mm-hmm. If there's, if there's think, more than nine of these sanctioned events, you mm-hmm. have more opportunities to compete. I think that's what they're getting at whenever they say that, because that's how I felt. But then uh, you talked to me about, about the potential for sponsorship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's right. You think about this. The magic of the circuit. But what if this? But what if this indeed? Um, and I, I think a lot of people are, you know, maybe just it's tender, man. That's mm. what it is. It's real tender. They're like, don't change this thing. But this thing yeah. has been fluid. Like that's another that's another uh, fact that a lot of people lose sight of is CrossFit has not been the CrossFit games have not been this like monolithic event. They've they've totally revamped essentially every year from just mm-hmm. being like a small uh, a small like register and compete deal to having the sectionals to having the open to having open and regionals to having like open regionals and the regionals change and the regionals get combined and super regionals and then everything gets homogenized and you know like Mm -hmm. that sort of thing the fact of the matter is the games the only thing that are at this point like set in stone won't ever change is that there will always be an open there will always be the games Mm -hmm. and where those two play in relation to one another in the season is one starts and one ends but whatever's in the middle is going to be fluid. It's going to have to be fluid. It's always been fluid. Like there's, that's just the way the game season has always been. So people are treating it as if we're changing this like monolithic part of what it means to be in CrossFit. And the fact of the matter is it's never been fluid. It's just been smaller changes. And this change is like huge and aggressive and it might be hitting you in like the tender bits, but you know, fucking nut up. Like it's not that big of a deal we're going to be just fine. Everyone is going to be just fine. Like fitness will continue to exist. <laughs> I think they're forgetting that nothing matters. Everyone you know will continue to fail to make it to the games. Mm-hmm. It, none, nothing is going to change in your day-to-day life. You're still going to be fitnessing too much and you're not going to be getting any better. Like none of these things are going to change, it's, guys. Regionals 2019 is just as real for you as it was bef- as it was before these changes. You're, it's, you're going to participate just as hard in Regionals 2019 as you would have previously. Except Correct. Chase, of course. Correct. Uh, But Chase Chase. is the exception. That's Um, another thing about the 2019 season is uh, we talked about this last time is I I was under the impression that the 2019 game season is going to start with the uh, open and end with the games and won't have anything in the middle because they're not going to have these sanctioned events up and running yet. That shit has changed. And I was fucking wrong. Oh. So they have not yet announced anything, but they're going to be announcing something soon because I know that a handful of events have already signed contracts with crossfit for the sanctioning mm-hmm. and i'm not a hundred percent sure whether they're going to be starting now for the 2019 mm-hmm. games or they're going to be sort of like doing these little middling events between the open and the games but might as well just because at least if you're a u.s athlete it's okay matt Fraser's going to win the open that's fine so start competing in these Correct. other events now there are there are some there will be some sanctioned qualifying mm-hmm. events for for the 2019 season specifically, which means that mm-hmm. sometime between now and the 2019 CrossFit Games in August, there will be events in which people can compete, win, and punch their ticket to the games. What month is Wadapalooza in? Wadapalooza is in January. Okay. Is that one of the months we just said? Uh, I can't between now and August, it is one of the months. Perfect. Between oh. now and August. Uh, yeah. There are a I lot of events. Strengths. Yes, there are a lot of events between now and August, and uh, Wadapalooza is one of them, although I'm uh, not there's almost, sure. There's almost a year's worth of events between now and August, it being this, August. This is correct. <laughs> this is like my one... This would be my one wish for CrossFit HQ, and that is 
sign WoW stronger and leave it as is, but mm. make it competitive. How fucking dope. And they leave it. It's just strongman influence mm. in that fucking horse barn. So <laughs> they should definitely do that well, because I want to see whoever can. Frederick, like, get your people with <laughs> HQ's people. Make it happen. It's get like, everyone and, on those pink airplanes. And mm. they, they qualify for the CrossFit Games by winning a three-event <laughs> competition <laughs> over the course of two and a half hours, which included them doing three yoke carries. Half uh, Thor Bjorsson will be going to the CrossFit Games after I, carrying you know the Hussifel Stone. I'm totally fine with that. And I'm one really rope climb. <laughs> 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 uh, he just pulled the rafter down. I think so. I think we can probably pretty safely say that one of the first sanctioned events is going to be Wadapalooza. I mean, it's one of the big remaining throwdowns that exists. And a little birdie told me that, in fact, officials from CrossFit HQ were at Wadapalooza this past year checking things out on the ground, which makes me... And it's been mentioned by name certainly more than anything else in this conversation. If you look back through sand lore, <laughs> yes, exactly. you'll find yeah. out this info. Yes, uh, yes CrossFit... I'll, let me give you a quick rundown of a couple of the events that CrossFit has sent people to to check out over the past few years. Scoop, everybody. Wadapalooza, Dubai, mm-hmm. Granite Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple in the Pacific Northwest. There's, I think, one more in Europe. Mm-hmm. And then there's a couple in Australia. I'm pretty sure those are the events that they have sent people to check out yeah, yeah. Uh, over the past like few years. Yeah, yeah. There but better be one in Australia. Otherwise, <laughs> uh, Kara, Kara Saunders is going to be quite upset <laughs> uh, with this, having to take a very long plane flight to qualify for yeah. the games. But <laughs> again, need one in Russia. For we have no idea. That's right. Oh, yeah. well, we have no idea what the actual... Um, what the actual number is going to be, what the actual sort of like events are going to be. I think it's pretty fucking safe to assume that at some point, if not this year, at some point, Dubai and Wadapalooza are going to be on that on that list because they're just the biggest fucking events outside yep. of the games. And, uh, you know, Granite Games is, is probably going to end up being on that list. Like the only hurdle for Granite Games, I imagine, is that I don't, it's in September so they're going to have to m- maybe move it or yeah. something. But I, even that, I feel like, may not be the end of the world if suddenly the winner of the Pro Division gets a, a yeah. ticket to the game. Yeah, I, f- I feel like the the biggest thing is going to be, like, timing, mm-hmm. moving around that schedule, but and especially with the qualifiers for these events, and then uh, the structure, because I imagine, like, the, the team events that they put on are going to have to go go away, and they're mm-hmm. going to have to adopt whatever HQ wants. So um, my curious, I'm curious if, if, if Dubai, no if, du- if, Dubai, if Dubai becomes an officially sanctioned event, does that mean that they're going to prohibit them from just making it human cockfighting where they throw money at people <laughs> halfway through <laughs> events to, to, to go faster? No, I think they're going to encourage that, actually. Oh, That's going to so. actually be one of the, uh, the big moments, uh, one of the, the deciding factors if athletes want to go to Dubai or not, whether mm-hmm. they... Want to be treated like uh, <laughs> like human cockfighters? <laughs> All right, a hundred thousand dollars for whoever whips out their cock and beats someone to death with it. That is, that is not what happens at Dubai Fitness. I think that's what cockfighting is, yeah. right? Yeah, that's not what happens. It's like, all right, they uh, put Brooke Ents in a small cage and duct tape razor blades to her feet, <laughs> and so we'll let her out on the floor. I'd rather do now. that than the five days of competition at DFX, mm. dude. It it's gnarly if you want to talk about an event that like really mirrors the games or pushes the games that they do and they're like it's fucking december guess what you're gonna die yeah (laughs) yeah so um it's uh that's gonna be a really good one to see i think at some point but either way it's news to me i I imagine it's probably news to other people 
that that in the 2019 season there will be sanctioned qualifying events. Yep. But it's not it's not news. I, I follow Armin Hammer TV, and right. I saw it earlier today. Hell yeah. Uh, the other piece of news is I have confirmation that CrossFit will be making an official announcement very soon. Ah. Very soon. Hopefully uh, within a week. Tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know if it'll be tomorrow because Friday is usually like a dead day for everybody. Everybody, like I don't know why they would want to post something. Look how burnt I am. It's a dead day for me tomorrow. But (laughs) hopefully within a week. So in terms of um, some of the top five dumb comments I've seen uh, on YouTube and social media, one of them is of course obviously you're lying because they haven't made an official announcement, so that should put this to rest. Um, And then the other one that I love is uh, I love that someone commented that. They thought that we were idiots because we didn't think that Matt Frazier was going to win all 16 of the uh, sanctioned events. And I'm like, if he's not going to participate in the, the, the sanctioned events. He's he not going to do he a single one. This represents a, a very fundamental misunderstanding of, of what these things are and the role that they will play. I, I forget who I had a direct message conversation with, but he they were saying something along the same lines. It's yeah. like, man, he could probably win all of them. if you, Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. He'd win at least a couple. I was like, first... He could win all of them if he yes. wanted to. <laughs> First of all, he could win all of them. And second of all, he won't go to any of them. And then the other thing is, like, they definitely are going to put some type of precaution in. Those, there those will be qualifying some events little are for the tape. losers yeah. who aren't winning their country in the <laughs> open. Mm-hmm. For losers like Brent Fikowski <laughs> and losers well, like... It'd be really cool if they, like, just incentivize... Actually, Brent, Brent Fikowski might be the winner of Canada. Yeah, I mean, it would be really sure, cool, Canada, but I mean, cool Canada not enough Pat Jelner still agrees. to have Vellner there. Oh, here's a question. Does Camille move back to Canada? Yeah, that might be a good idea for Unless her. Unless Texas breaks away and becomes its own state, then mm. she moves here. Uh, that's a really good question. Dominates all of us. Another question is, do they count you based off of where you're living or what your nationality is? Like, mm. do they look at passports or do they look at, like, actual physical location? <laughs> What's your mm. face, Chase? I don't know. What they do that's is they... Right. <laughs> What? Chase is moving to Mexico <laughs> to take 15. <laughs> I wasn't going to Mexico. I'm going to Iran. <laughs> he's going to Montevideo, Uruguay, where nice. he's going to win the country. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, no, what they do is they uh, they test uh, the the uh, the strictness of your shoulder press, and that's how they determine whether or not you can claim citizenship in Canada. So she's kind of fucked. Fuck. Someone sent me a video of Thor pressing 200 kilos yeah i saw that which was redonkulous i don't know if you guys have seen that but thor pressing 200 kilos and their comment on messaging it to me was it looks like he's been taking pointers from camille and i was like uh yeah i mean that's really funny but this is like an actual thing like this (laughs) is different (laughs) like this is definitely an actual thing (laughs) this is way different than then Camille, like, you know, faking a strict press yeah, to, like, get more points in the CrossFit mm-hmm. games. This is Thor being, like, one of the strongest humans who's ever lived. Yeah, but Eddie had a bigger press than yeah, that, yeah. Eddie, Well, uh, I mean, yeah, of course. He definitely had a bigger yeah, press. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen a strict barbell press from Eddie, though, so that's slightly But he did different. it with an axle at, yeah, like, 400 he, he and some odd pounds. He pressed 216 on an axle yeah, so. uh, after cleaning it. Yes. And uh, Thor pressed 200 off a straight bar From out a of rack. a rack. Yeah. But either way, I mean, there's... It's, so it's not impressive is what we're saying. It's not impressive not at impressive all. Not impressive at all. I mean, he's like literally f- like five, four or 5% off of what... It's like, call me when you get that 440-pound strict Hall press to a 460-pound strict press. Thank you very much. You little bish. Bish. You dink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the other, the other news uh, to kind of talk about is that... 
you guys remember that lawsuit between CrossFit and Reebok? I know it's hard to remember <laughs> all the CrossFit lawsuits. Did you guys know, fun mm-hmm. fact, that CrossFit is the corporation with the largest number of open litigation in the nation? Awesome. Huh. I said, but are they primarily uh, claims over people using the CrossFit name? I have name? no idea. Yeah, I would I assume I just know so. that that's the case. Considering they used to go after like anyone who would put CrossFit on anything like... Uh, like a look website. At these, look at these wristbands. They're good for CrossFit. You know, cease and yeah. desist. So. Like, a, like a website, like a naked CrossFit. Yeah, or something. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I... I uh, so they... They settled their lawsuit with uh, with Reebok. This lawsuit, if you guys do not recall, mm-hmm. is the lawsuit over the nearly $5 million of licensing fees that uh, Reebok did not pay. See, mm-hmm. I didn't use the word jip there, guys. Yeah. That Reebok did not pay <laughs> CrossFit. I'm being... Can I'm, you say it again, but use the word jipped? I'm being, I'm being sensitive to gypsies everywhere. Yes, PC. Uh, yeah, so I think the... Details of the settlement are confidential. I asked multiple times and uh, was was rebuffed every single time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do know that it got settled. It has to do something with that $4.8 million figure, whether it's that exact number or more. My guess mm-hmm. is CrossFit wouldn't have settled for less. Um, and the details of the contract have not changed. So Reebok will continue to be the title sponsor of the games through 2020 cool. as the contract was originally slated. But to me, the interesting fact is that thanks to this lawsuit uh, and Reebok tried to stop this is the details of that contract are actually public. Yeah. yeah. So Reebok was like, hey, guys, like this is this is like proprietary information. Uh, You know, we'd like this to to remain sealed. Like if you can just redact all the numbers and stuff out of this contract, the judge did not agree. So all those all that is is public. So anyone who. Uh, happens to be with like another company that is like eyeballing the title sponsorship of the CrossFit games. Mm-hmm. Like you now know literally exactly what CrossFit is getting from Reebok and you can just be like, how about this? Mm-hmm. Like, the exact same thing, but we're what not going to be dicks sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, but what if this? Uh, I think there's uh, I think there's definitely something to, to be said about the fact that those figures are public. I have no idea where it's going to play out. I yep. don't know. Maybe they're going to change the contract between now and then. Maybe Reebok's not pumped about the new changes to the games. But to be honest with you, it's a pretty big fucking cash cow. And mm-hmm. as hesitant as Reebok has been to sort of support everything going on with CrossFit, if they're making money, they're not going to back away. Mm. That's it's as simple as that. So Word. I'm not really sure where else to where else to take that information until until we figure out what's going on. So but really, what are the states of Nano Nines? Dude, I've heard multiple things. Yeah? I heard that they weren't making Nano 9s, mm-hmm. although I have a hard time believing that. The person who told me that is usually really fucking on point. Yeah. But from someone else, someone who would also know, he gave me a hard confirmation that they have made Nano 9s because he has, uh, uh, he knows that they've been doing like photo shoots and stuff for them. Oh. So I've heard, I've heard 50-50. You hear that, guys? It's a scoop. We got another scoop. That's two scoops. That's two scoops. That's two, we got road. a two scoops uh, Sunday whoop. here. Whoop. Uh, so whoop. yeah, I don't I don't really know exactly what's gonna happen with Reebok or the Nanos. I know the Nano Eights are pretty fucking good though. Yeah. So I mean, if they they kind of made it out of the park with the Nano Eights. Mm-hmm. So if you like them, plus they've been re-releasing all the old Nanos recently. Nano mm-hmm. Two, 
for the win. Nanotube for life, obviously. They had the gum sole ones at the games, I guess. They did. I didn't get a gum sole nano twos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's like the it's like the past and the present coming together. They were pretty fucking cool nice. looking. Nice. I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I did not, uh, as the kids say, cop a pair. Yeah. I was surprised. I was surprised. I thought for sure you'd come back with a pair of gum soles. I thought for sure I'd come back with a pair of the gum soles as well. But there's actually a small detail about that. It's really important to know. A lot of people uh, may or may not know this, but I'm fucking unemployed, Chase. <laughs> I, I was don't sleeping know on means. a couch at the CrossFit Games. Yeah, you sleep on Nobody the- has money to buy a $110 pair of shoes that I already own three pairs of. Yes, but Armin, are you, are, you, are you really unemployed if you're doing what you love? That's good. That's good. I don't have a job, but I have plenty of work. Nice. That's how. That's what I've been saying. Nice. Mm-hmm. nice that's nice. how I look at it. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm kind of bummed I missed out on the <laughs> <laughs> with the gum soles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, either way, maybe next year. Maybe next year they'll have like nano twos, but in reverse. The top is gum sole and the, the regular sole is still there. That'd be so I'd sick. I'd spend good money on those. Well, dumb money, but I'd spend money on those. The top is all gummy and then it just has a, a canvas uh, under part. That's very slippery. That's perfect. You don't want to. Uh, it's for bar method. Yeah. It's bar method nanos. That's right. I don't uh, understand. Yeah, uh, it's okay. That's fine. You don't need to know what the bottom is. I don't want to know. It's fine. It's just mm. like it's like chick exercise. It's chick exercise. It's really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> it's just tried. all stretching. It's just like and aggressive. And my toes hurt. Stretching. And my Gross. joints hurt. I can't do it. I hate um, anything that isn't dead. I think it's based off of ballet work or something. Someone watching this or listening to this right now is probably going to say, no, you moron. It's based off of, I don't know, like. Oh, Phil- is it like they use Phil a ballet Bino bar War. where you hold on to I don't the bar? Know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Let's move on. Either I way, I hate this already. This conversation sucks, and we're no it's longer not about talking about fitness. Fuck this. Mm-hmm. Um, we are now going to transition into the awesome part of the show. Yeah, where we talk about Michael Mann's heat. Yeah. she's got a great and, ass, and not just hey. the heat, but heat. So, and for just to bring those, uh, some of the audience up to speed, we, we, we last week, we, we put it out to the world. We've talked about a lot of movies on here, some that Chase hasn't seen, some that Armin hasn't seen. We're always thinking we should really actually watch some of these movies uh, and all get on the same page about it. But we wanted you, the Scalas Nation, to be involved. And so last week or the week before, I don't really remember, we said, everyone go watch Heat and then we'll talk about it on a coming uh, episode. And that is exactly what we did. So, mm-hmm. uh, let's... Let's talk about heat, you guys. Probably spoilers. Oh, super oh, yeah. spoilers! Super spoilery. Yeah, yeah. The mm-hmm. film came out in 1996, and as we established earlier when discussing Conan O'Brien, that was over 20 years ago. So uh, you know, catch up, guys. And it is on Netflix. So pause now. Hmm. Hmm. We are having all right. Cameras back running again. Excellent. Cool. All right. So first of all, has everyone here seen Heat? Yes, sir. Yes. Nice. Very nice. So, Chase. Uh, I risked my life watching that in the car on my commutes. <laughs> oh, can really? I, can I tell you right now? Uh, uh, I'm very fucking excited to hear what Chase has to say. I about am this also movie. excited. So, Chase, initial reactions to Michael Mann's Heat. Okay. I'll so give you the floor. I started this movie. And uh, I was first caught off guard because it was two hours and 50 fucking minutes. God uh-huh. damn right it is. <laughs> when movies were movies, that's what that is. So I put it on and uh, instantly fell asleep 20, minutes, 20 minutes into it. Had to start it over from scratch. Allow me to <laughs> quote for you guys, by the way, because this is what I was really excited about. Uh-huh. Uh, Chase texted me the following. Heat <laughs> equals hot trash. <laughs> Uh-oh. And my boo. response was, this is going to be great. Oh, boo, <laughs> boo. So did you end up finishing the film? I finished the film. Excellent. Uh, and uh, 
And I say I say it's hot trash, you but it's a conflicted hot trash. Okay, so so what what let me let me hear the positives. What did you like about it? So the here? positive is that it's super super engaging because mm-hmm. after I woke up from that nap and caught on to what was going on, I went back, mm-hmm. rewatched it, and I was like, well, I didn't need to see any of that shit anyways. Mm. But the point where I started watching twenty twenty five minutes in, mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, I'm engrossed. I gotta find out what the fuck's going on here. I gotta make yeah. sense out of all this shit, and. Uh, yeah, just like it held me the mm-hmm. entire entire time. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I gave a shit about Neil and his and his his woman that he meets. Meaty. What maybe yeah. like twice? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the 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 it's graphic designer who works in a bookstore who complete. has an amazingly large house, the Great View in Los Angeles, and, and, a, and a super and a super good Southern accent. And also, mm-hmm. let's not forget about that. Who who is that actress? Uh, she was on the the Judging Amy show. I don't know what her name is, but she was on a she was on a sitcom back in the day. I like how Heat. Also, subtly like confirms that like mm. nagging, like being <laughs> super negative right from the get go, is the mm. one surefire way to get the hot chick to like play more into. Yeah. into your Ooh, game. And let's circle back, by the way, to that nagging scene. But go yes. on, it's, that's Continue. a scene worth talking about. Yeah. So, so he has like his his whole rule mm-hmm. that that he follows. Like, yeah. Don't <laughs> have anything in your life you can't walk on walk uh, out on in thirty seconds, seconds if you feel the heat coming around the corner. Right. He, he lets that whole rule just yeah. like fly the fuck out the window. Sure does. When it matters most. Yep. Not for himself first, but for his homeboy. Yep. Uh, was that That's Val Kilmer, right? Mm-hmm. Blonde hair with this fucking crazy mm-hmm. mullet looking thing. Uh, sets him up, tries to save that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then, it, then he gets caught, gets caught himself. Yeah. Because the fucking dinner scene. Yeah. Because he's just like, man, I wish I had this. Mm-hmm. I kind of miss not having anybody in my life. That's right. And then homie gets caught up, but he didn't commit full heartedly. Mm-hmm. And it ends up biting him in the ass because he couldn't let go of a grudge. Yes. And the whole thing is, you gotta Ooh. let go of a grudge. Oh yeah, that one last lesson. grudge with Wayne Grove. All, there. all uh-huh. he had to do was just keep fucking, fucking driving. Wayne Grove. Mm-hmm. So are you mm-hmm. saying that in a way the movie was so affecting, but because the character made a tragic decision that uh, is very trash. frustrating and hard, it, it 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 hurt you. It hurt you deeply. Is it what hurt me saying. deeply. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what's like, great you about heat. you can't talk the talk, talk the talk, and then there I, I think, oh, I think instead of it being hot trash, I think that Chase really like this movie on a much <laughs> deeper level because yeah. it might be Chase's first deeply affecting tragedy he's yeah. seen in a movie. That's <laughs> like, what it was. I feel like it burned him. It burned, yeah. him, yeah. kind of, it burned him like deep. a hot stove. It's kind of like the first season. bad, man. It's like the first season of Game of Thrones. When the last episode of the first season of Game of Thrones, I guess fucking spoilers, I don't even need to say what it was, but everyone had the same reaction, including myself at the time, was like, fuck this show. This is a stupid show. I don't like this show. It's a dumb, dumb, dumb show. After the first, <laughs> after the uh, final episode of the first season, and in the big twist and and then i'm like all i can think about is this show now and what's going to happen and then i came back and of course it's fucking game of thrones and i think that it sounds to me like we're in a similar situation where you really felt for neil and you were so hurt by this dumb decision he makes the tragic decision he makes at the end of the movie spoilers uh that it it, it gotcha it burns you straight fucking pissed me yeah, off, yeah i know it's it's still every time I have been watching this movie for 20 years. Every time when when John Voight says, hey, man, the plane's set up. It's leaving. You're home free. And he turns to me and says, we're home free. And he's driving down the highway. I still just want him to drive to the airport. <laughs> I, drive. Still, I still keep wanting him to drive to the airport. Every time. And I just want well, every time. And when he decides to turn around, it still hurts every single time. And fucking so. Edie can't. She can't say anything. Yeah. She, she, all she had to be was like, mm, do we have to do whatever the fuck you're thinking yeah. of? She doesn't know. And that's the thing. It's like, do we have time like, that's the only thing she yeah, can ask just, do we have time like, we have time oh we fucking don't yeah. mm-hmm. there's people just shooting at you yes 
Uh, yeah, well, so to kind of back up on, on Keith here, what makes it so, I don't know, I, I know it's kind of hard to know where to start other than the fact that it's this beautiful, big, epic crime movie that is about kind of these 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 men of who are very devoted to their craft on both sides of the law and the havoc that, that their devotion to their business wreaks on their personal lives specifically uh, the relationships with the women in their lives. And each character is introduced. Each character has a woman in his Poor life. Poor Ralph. Yeah. Ralph's the real victim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, That's it's, the saddest <laughs> fucking part of the oh, yeah. thing. <laughs> She's like, I had no- Fuck Ralph to prove a point. <laughs> and Ralph is in the room. I know. <laughs> I had to degrade myself with Ralph. Degrade myself. Yes. Not just I had to fuck Ralph. Yes. I had to degrade myself with Ralph to even get close to you. And I was like, oh. You I, I actually. I was I, like, I'm here. By the way, your coffee maker doesn't work. I don't. I don't I, th- I've seen this movie like I've seen this movie like 20 times, and it, I actually spit did a spit take this time for some reason. I don't know why it got me. Uh, and uh, when he he turns to Ralph and he's and she says, we, you know, she says something to the effect of, "You could at least be mad." And he goes, "Oh, I'm mad." And he looks and he goes, <laughs> and then he goes, "I'm mad." Ralph and I did the spit take when Pacino says that I just like was drinking a LaCroix and coughed it back into my head I'm mad I'm very mad Pacino has many spit take worthy lines in this movie I was gonna say I don't think anyone could have done that role like Pacino Uh. because <laughs> that whole situation is like you fuck my wife, but you can't watch my fucking television. TV. It's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love uh, it. <laughs> so I was reading. I was reading a lot about Heat over the past couple days, and one of the funniest things to me, one of the most like Hollywood things I've ever heard in my entire life, was in 2016, literally 20 years after this movie mm-hmm. came out, Al Pacino confirmed. That his character was on cocaine the entire movie. Yeah, he's talked about that. And yeah, I was yeah. like, mm. it's been twenty years, dude. Like, what are you even? What are you? Ta- what everyone can tell that you were on? You were on cocaine <laughs> the entire time. Like, don't try and retcon the this character into something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, the character was on cocaine the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> it's great ass. Yes. Oh, let's let's talk about the yeah. great ass uh-huh. moment. The great ass moment is. That's one. Of, I mean, obviously, the big classic line from the th- like uh, from the movie that everyone references. And what I love about that moment is, and Michael Mann does this a couple times over the course of the film, where he leaves in like a line flub. There's one at the kitchen table where he's like, "I'm so sorry that the chicken got over," and he like clearly forgets his line. He was cooked, which doesn't even make sense in context. He puts the chicken down. It's like because and because like the chicken, the, he's supposed to say the dinner went cold, was cold or something, and he just fight, he leaves it in, and it's kind of fun. But in that, you see him begin the word big. He's gonna say big ass. He realizes it's not the line and changes. He makes a hard right turn in the middle of it because like, she's got a. Great ass! And so he just <laughs> overcommits to great to compensate for that. And it just makes it so Much fucking better. just great. It's fantastic. And that that one and my other favorite is, of course, give me all you got. Give me all you got. When he's interrogating the guy who has the uh, the cars. Yeah, the junkyard. Just, he's just throwing different energy at him every six <laughs> seconds. And then just out of nowhere screams at him. Ah, I love it. And, yeah, he's uh, like, did you? Tell me you fell in love last night. I'll believe you if you fell in love last night. He starts singing. And then he walks away and he's like, 
Don't waste my motherfucking time. <laughs> there's just, there's just so much fucking gold. So now I, I don't yeah. remember. We were talking about Pacino and Him Robert De Niro. Makes so previously. much more sense. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about Pacino versus De Niro, mm-hmm. and you said you guys said one of them is a good actor and one of them is like a bad actor. No, I don't think I ever said bad. They're both great, but for me, I think that uh, I think that Pacino is such a. For me personally, I think Pacino is just a much more interesting actor than Robert. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro brings a tremendous amount of authenticity and uh, naturalism and all that kind of stuff to his roles. Uh, and then uh, Pacino kind of abandoned that in the somewhere in the eighties, and he started to and he, he became much more performative, much more uh, surreal, and he and so he just has like again that's why we're sitting here talking about and not that Robert De Niro isn't great, but we're sitting here talking about all these moments, these Pacino moments in Heat. And not as much because Robert De Niro, he's just great and he's real the whole time. Uh, but Pacino is giving you things that are so much more interesting to look at. Yeah, the whole he really time. takes it to the edge yeah, every yeah. single time. Uh, yeah, this I, is back to another actor who was on coke confirmed on cocaine during the movie, but uh, Jack Nicholson during The Shining. Yes, uh, Jack Nicholson was on cocaine during that whole performance, and it shows. Uh, just like this, but yeah, you can tell by his face and body and how he acts. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which really sweaty. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, yeah, it's just a different kind of taste in acting. There, mm-hmm. the you know Robert De Niro, very naturalistic, mm-hmm. very realistic, but ultimately, for my money, boring for the most part. I think it's versus actors who aren't even really trying to be realistic; they're just trying to throw crazy energy at the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's uh the the same way that Pacino takes like just every moment he can to an absolute maximum of Pacino-ness mm. uh Michael Mann I feel like wrote a script and then he was like I need I need more here I need to tell this guy's story I need three scenes about this guy. And they're like, but he's just, he's like the getaway driver at the bank. <laughs> yep. That's like, you don't need it. He's like, no, no, no. I need three scenes about this guy. And yep. I need it, I need it to be like scathing commentary on re-entry in the real world for ex-cons. And, yeah. it, and it's like, oh, fuck. Wow, that that's kind Damn. of crazy, bro. And then he did that for like six different characters. Like mm-hmm. at one point I was like, why don't we have a whole movie about Henry Rollins' character? Because yeah, he yeah. has like oh, a yeah. tattoo on the back of his neck and it looks yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Like this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, the, what we were, Cliff and I were talking about, uh, about um, what is his name? The actor who plays uh, the getaway driver. Uh, he was on not Allstate. The Allstate guy. <laughs> Allstate guy. It's definitely not Idris Elba. Uh, exactly. Um, not Denzel, I had, not Idris. I had it yesterday, but I don't have it today. Um, but anyway, uh, uh, what I like about him, uh, what I like about that thing is, it's interesting. Holy I, shit, he, that is Allstate guy. Yeah, it is. The it is guy. Yeah. yeah, that's Allstate. No it's the guy I, from the unit. Man, I feel like he, I let down the culture. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like it's one of those characters that maybe had more interaction and had more scenes at an earlier stage of the script, and it got scaled down and scaled down and scaled down, and that's fine. But I like that you. You, it gets you to the point of being fully bummed when he uh, when he bites the dust in two. He p- appears prior to the scene where they pick him up in the the diner. He appears in two scenes, two scenes. Well, the one where he gets out of prison and starts to get a job, and we realize that the job is shitty. Bullshit. Uh, and then he appears in one scene with uh, his girlfriend, his girlfriend who interacts with no other character. And I think that, in a way, kind of plants a flag in the movie. It kind of tells you that. 
if I'm going to show you nothing else about this character, I'm going to show you these two interactions. And that says, this is the dimension of all the other characters that is relevant. You know, it's like, how is this little, like this little uh, diversion, this sorry, digression uh, relevant to the rest of the film? Well, it's so connected to the themes and motifs about the conflict between one's uh, one's craft and then the women that uh, you lo- that you love in your life, and so by just highlighting that aspect of him, it's simultaneously very tragic and it kind of helps shine a light on that dimension for everyone else because it's like that's what you need to be paying attention to. Even characters like Tom Sizemore's wife, who we barely see in the movie at all, she's less of barely a barely featured in the dinner scene, though. barely featured. It takes the time to when Tom Sizemore uh, gets killed in the big bank robbery scene at the end. It cuts to her, just a shot of a television with her out of focus in the foreground, like cleaning something, turns and watches on the news that he is uh, that he has died. So uh, anyway, so uh, how was that? How about that bank robbery scene? Did you guys enjoy that? Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Yes. I fucking love that. Yeah, the bank, yeah. the bank robbery is dope. But for me, the, the, mm. the scene, I think the best scene is uh, the whole interaction whenever... Pacino's character realizes that like fucking uh, De Niro's guy's got like the jump on him and knew that they are looking for them. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, up. yeah. That, like, is that whole that whole interaction is just like and he realizes it before the rest of the crew. Looking at. He's like, We got fucking up. made. Yes. <laughs> he's like looking around, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? The LAPD. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why did you say PD? <laughs> yeah. He just like, uh, it goes uh, off the rails like yelling because he knows uh, he's there. He knows he's uh, being watched. I and love then that it's bit. that that dinner interaction where where De Niro mm. and Pacino's characters like oh, yeah. have the face to face and they're yeah. like, we're the same per- fucking person, but we're both trying to get out, but we can't stop. We're yes. losing everything we love. Yes, yeah, so that's uh, yeah, yeah. I love I love that that of course was the scene that prior to uh, when in, and I'm old enough to remember when this film came out and that was the thing that ever it was De Niro and Pacino finally on screen together because they had both been in Godfather two but obviously they took place those their, their storylines took place in two different time periods so they'd never interacted and they were the two big the the biggest most shining actors big shining actors to come out of the 1970s the golden age of uh, New Hollywood and they just never have been in a film. So this was a big deal. Like, this was a huge prestige thing. De Niro, Pacino, on screen together. And I think a lot of people... Uh, so lost like their that, fucking shit during well, a lot that dinner. Of, <laughs> a lot of people lost their shit, but a lot of people in the time were actually disappointed with how... It's like, oh, De Niro and Pacino, they're in the same movie, and we get... What do we get? We get one dinner scene where they're both sitting down and talking to each other, but there's so much depth to what goes on in that scene that it's just so it's very rich and plus you don't get just that scene which I, it always frustrated me you also get the fantastic final moment yeah. of the movie with the two of them together which is just fucking when the Moby music comes in and it's all big and whatnot. It's, yeah, talk uh, about I'm never going back raised his hand yeah. holds his hand yeah, told you I was never going back yeah, it, it, it's yeah. interesting I think just to look at sort of the fact that this first of all the ending of the movie is not at all like what a movie today would do. Mm-hmm. I feel like today... They would have got away. I feel like either he would have gotten away or there would have been another 15 minutes after he kills mm-hmm. Neil because it has to wrap up whatever the fuck, something else, right? They'd have yeah. to find some. They can't just end with like Al Pacino like gazing off. Al Pacino off. quits the force and he becomes mm-hmm. a good yeah. husband. Yeah, exactly. No. It, would have to, it would have to wrap yeah. something weird like that. But I also think this movie is a movie full of that guys Mm -hmm. like the cast of this movie 
is pretty much every that guy yeah. in Hollywood. There's like, a lot of good ones in there. There's a lot of that so you guys. Have Ted in Levine this. in there. Ted Levine is yeah. in this mm-hmm. movie. You Tom Sizemore. Tom Noonan is in this movie. Wes uh, Studi, who is yes. not Edward James Olmost, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> in case you're wondering. Uh-huh. So say William we Fitchner, the ultimate that guy. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Comes along to play yet another that guy in the Dark Knight. Well, that's actually Which, yeah, that I is, was ties us. Let's t- let's address gr- that issue. Yeah, that, there. that's a great jumping off point. So for for those for our millennial audience that is probably checking out right now hey, uh, to, to make this to make this <laughs> yeah, and this is I actually think you might find this very fascinating. So Heat is the kind of is the explicit, direct, and Christopher Nolan has confirmed this many times, inspirate that not like he had to. Oh shit. Uh, inspiration, inspiration for the Dark Knight. Inspiration yes. for the Dark Dude, Knight. There's and so many direct ties. Yes. Well the thing is like if you think there are direct ties, it's like it is like he It's basically we, the same yes. movie. Christopher Nolan, first of all, loves heat to the degree that he fetishizes the film. He has to, if you watch on the special edition DVD of special Blu-ray or whatever of uh, 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 that they just did like the 30th anniversary thing, it's Christopher Nolan who actually um, moderates the conversation between Michael Mann, uh, Robert De Niro and Al Pacino about the film. And he just speaks very lovingly Nerd. of the film, etc. And he says he watched it a million times and it was his direct inspiration to basically tell Batman as Heat, which is this, you know, uh, this, you know, uh, kind of Damn, gritty, dude. real, technical uh, look at a crime story. Um, now, if you, but that being said, especially, 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 if you watch Heat, and this is what I did, the first time I've ever done this, I watched Heat, uh, I guess it was last night, and then this morning I watched, mm. on ne- also on Netflix, so I would recommend this, watch the first 15 minutes of The Dark Knight. The fucking bank robbery. The man. bank robbery scene. Because the bank robbery scene, not only is it stylistically very informed by Heat, in the camera's obsession with all of the tools and devices they're using to bust open windows and they zip line in and... Uh, they, they use a drill and drill into a thing and, that, and they the, over the same music basically but the music <laughs> that that little scraping violin music Holy that shit. characterizes oh, yeah. the, the entirety the of the dark knight score yeah. yes if you listen to the robbery scene at the beginning of heat that same scratchy violin sound ticking, that keeps tick, going in the ticking that's from heat and it's brought into the dark knight and then as if it could not possibly be explicit enough in the opening bank robbery scene, he casts William Fickner from Heat to play a character who is trying to kill the Joker because the Joker is trying to steal money from the mob just to <laughs> just to bring everyone back He's up to speed. He's basically the same guy. He's basically the same guy. And whereas in Heat, William Fickner plays a guy who's trying to kill the criminals, uh, Robert De Niro, because he tried to steal money from drug dealers. So it's like the same actor, basically functionally at least, playing roles that are somewhat analogous. He was uh, a bit more. He was a bit of a tougher guy, yes, a bit more exactly. masculine they're in the in the Dark Knight. They're clearly different characters, but they're characters that there is clearly a pretty big conscious connection. Like you know that he wrote mobster banker and then he thought you know do you and he wrote the line in dark knight do you know who you're stealing from and then you write reference heat why did he cast william fickner oh what's william fickner's big first line in the movie apparently the word is on the street that it's okay to steal my money i'm gonna kill these guys <laughs> that's literally his first big line in the movie and Holy so shit. uh yeah it's uh it's like da vinci's code the music that's interesting you talked about the music because one of the things that makes uh, that 
that bank robbery scene and the immediate aftermath of it so fucking incredible and mm-hmm. visceral is the sound production. Yeah. Because, and I didn't realize this, I was, I was trying to figure out, I was like, why does this sound so different? The, um, all of the gunshots were mm. recorded live. It yep. was, it was, it was not dubbed in with like gun, ah, clean yep. gunshots Explains afterwards. Why it was like, sound so much better. They, they, they sound as they would on the streets of downtown LA because that's exactly where they fucking shot it. And yep. they used the actual audio, like they mic'd up the entire and more the entire th- street. Yeah, and more than that, Damn. Michael Man Michael Mann talked about the fact that they went into post and the sound designers they weren't necessarily expecting to use those sounds. They went into post and uh, they replaced the gun sound effects with pre-recorded ones. And he said, "That's not the sound I'm looking for." He said, and he talks about and he mentioned I forget this was in the commentary or an old interview. He talks about how fucking frightening the sound of those guns going off, bouncing off all that concrete. It was. sounds like echoes from hell there yes. every time a gun goes. Is it like it does? It's not. It's not like this deep, harsh, you know, machine gun sound. It's like a where you just hear the fucking like just the like the ear piercing echo off the concrete. Like you can hear it shattering everyone's eardrums, and it sounds scary. And I have a big stereo system. We had it cranked up last night. It sounds scary as fuck when those guns are going off, <laughs> dude. Like it really like. Like it makes guns scary. They did such you know? a good job with the with the locale. Like yeah. they made LA they use like basically every fucking cool part of LA that I feel like has never been or mm-hmm. has been since in a movie. Because I, yeah. I can't speak to that because I know nothing about LA. It it they just they just made LA feel like an actual like it didn't feel like it had an identity as LA. It just felt like it had an identity as like this mega city. Well, I would argue that I think Michael Mann is a big contributor to kind of uh, giving uh, LA an interesting identity through some of his movies. I mean, he kind of has get like LA at night is when Michael I think Mann, of LA yeah. at night, I think of Michael Mann. When I have driven through LA at night, I I hear Michael Mann music or music for like Tangerine Dream and Moby playing in my ears. And like when you, then you look at another like a really great LA at night film from more recently, like Nightcrawler, which just came out the, a few years ago, which is fantastic if you haven't seen Nightcrawler with Jake Fuck Gyllenhaal. Yes. But it's you know it is the 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 character of LA at night is 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 the backdrop for the entire movie, and it's heavily informed by. I think what Michael Mann did, it's a lot of like, it's its a lot of highways and strip malls with neon signs glowing off of them and the dark, street busy lights. streets. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you could show other aspects of LA, but it like, it kind of gets into the nitty gritty. And Michael Mann has talked about the fact that a lot of what inspired, uh, you know, doing heat again, you know, in setting it in LA and all of that was just years and years and years of him doing location scouts in LA for his television and other film projects. So he has in his mind just a huge uh, uh, um, sort of backlog of great locations and things. And he just sort of tried to pour it all out when he made yeah, this movie. Yeah, he killed it. I mean, yeah. the the when I think of L.A. and movies, the scene, whether it's like the most, I don't think it's like the most iconic, but it's the thing that sticks with me the most was another Michael Mann movie, uh, what's the one with uh, collateral? T- collateral. Yes. And it's it's very very simple scene. It's just the fucking coyote in the middle of the street yep. in the middle of the night, and that I have lived that. <laughs> like that is the most LA yeah, yeah. thing you can experience. Is it's one o'clock in the morning. There's no one around, and you stop your car because there's a fucking coyote just mm-hmm. staring at you. Like 
You're in my world right now, bro. Dude, we should watch Collateral. Oh, interestingly, in the commentary, I watched the first five minutes of the commentary. Uh, the opening shot of Heat is of uh, the train station with all the smoke coming in, which is the uh, what she says is like the Blue Line station or something like that, which was five days away from opening, from like opening for the first time when they shot it. It yet <laughs> to open, and then coincidentally, several years later. They return to that location at the exact same train stop and station where the climax of Collateral is oh, shot. Oh, really? So I didn't know that. Little Damn. factoid huh. to connect those two things. We should watch Collateral. That's a good one. That's a good one. I've never yeah. seen it. Oh, I think good. another the the music was an interesting thing as well because it it was very much like this. It kind of had like a Miami Vice feel to it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was kind of like these really echoey, reverby guitar licks, mm-hmm. and like it's just more of a feeling than yeah. it is like an actual song. You're mm-hmm. just like, oh fuck, this tone is giving yeah. me, in, in giving me like anxiety mm-hmm. or or like man, longing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, like, oh, the, fuck. I, I think it's. I think it definitely goes. Um, like it, it's a good statement for a movie if you don't notice that type of stuff until like later and you really think about it. You just feel the feeling it's wanting wanting you to get. So like for the mm. bank robbery scene, like I didn't realize mm. why I was like so much like anxiety and like why you're grinding your teeth for the past yeah. six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same way I w- would for the that opening sign, scene of Dark Knight. Um, the only time that the music I didn't think was like super key was those interactions between Edie and and Neil. They just played like this. Too melodramatic. Like, yeah, I was like, get the fuck out of here for this. Like, I understand. Yeah. These choices are always bold. They don't always work, yeah. but they yeah. work most of the time. They're like Al Pacino's performances. <laughs> like, like <laughs> Michael Michael Mann's choice tastes in music is kind of like he's like Al Pacino, and like other directors might be Robert De Niro. He's like, I'm gonna go for the emotions. I'm gonna go for the big. I'm gonna go for the melodrama. I'm gonna go for that all the time. And I don't know. It's like that's I think the just the world of. And I think it's also yeah. It's a matter of taste. I dig it just because I like being in that world but Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's definitely high high drama all the time uh yeah it's a good movie it's a very good movie and i watched it in two parts Mm -hmm. i watched the first movie length portion of it and got to just after the bank robbery Mm -hmm. and i was like i've got shit to do so i'm gonna come back to this and then i watched the rest of it this morning it's like when you're at the climax of the movie and then you realize there's an hour and 10 minutes left in it yeah (laughs) Yeah. i was up with that it was was incredible and it doesn't i mean listen it it, it's long it feels like a long movie but every piece that's in there none of it feels particularly out of place it all just adds like another layer of depth there is one thing that has always kind of bothered me and this time still watching it just kind of bothered me it's i don't hate it it doesn't ruin the movie but uh, the whole subplot with wayne grove killing prostitutes there mm-hmm. it's like we that, already have tons of reasons no, we not to, to like wayne grove he's a real it's bad like, guy it's like, we yeah. have tons of reasons before wayne and after because he also he, i yeah. thought it was wayne grove is it Wayne Grove? Oh, it might be Wayne Grove. The first time I, I actually haven't looked it up. He says Wayne Grove the f- clearly the very first time that he gets when he first gets into the thing. Oh, by the way, in terms of things that are also connected to the Dark Knight, literally <laughs> the opening shots of the movie are people driving around and picking up other guys on their way to a robbery. The, what are the first shots of Dark Knight? Guys driving around in trucks picking up people mm-hmm. on the way to. I don't the know robbery. why it didn't get me. It just didn't yeah. get and, me. And by the way, but, in, um, in that truck, my fav- my favorite moment in the movie is Wayne Grove is <laughs> Wayne Grove is in the truck and he's yet rattling on. To uh, to uh, Tom Sizemore, uh, to, Tom yeah. Sizemore and the uh, uh, yeah yeah quit talking slick and then he takes pulls off his glasses, glasses and, and stares stares pulls the glass and yeah. stares snake eyes at him. That's my favorite moment in the movie there. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's really random. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's 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 so it's so. 
it's so it's it speaks to so much so quickly there. It's like as soon as that happens, yeah, Tom Sizemore makes a little bit of a dick thing. Yeah, quit talking, Slick. As soon as uh, Wayne Grove takes the glass off and stares daggers at him, you realize this guy's a psychopath, that's a good point, and that's going to cause yeah. issues. And it does mm-hmm. in the next scene. Shit. Yeah, and that's. All right, so I'm gonna get. I'm gonna go. I, I need to watch. Like I already know I need to watch. You're gonna watch. You should, yeah, I With love the sound system. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> the, the uh, iPhone didn't work. <laughs> the uh, got it. But especially just just watch the bank robbery scene with a real stereo, and that'll that'll get you. But so think about this. So and I the end sequence <laughs> at the airport with a uh, yeah, subwoofer. The end sequence. Eyes crossed. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, it must be yeah. good. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm gonna think about this. So Wayne Grove killing prostitutes. Uh, that is that scene does stand out in the movie definitely. But if you think think about the scenes with and I, by the way, I remember the Allstate guy's fucking name. It's Dennis Haysbert, right? Dennis Haysbert. That's yeah, right. Maybe. That's hmm. Okay. Anyway, fuck it. Uh, moving on. But his all the scenes are about the havoc that uh, people's craft wreaks in the lives in the women in their lives. And so we see even for a psychopath like Wayne Grove, we see this incredibly dark manifestation of that same idea. Like, he has no heart. He is incapable of loving. He's been so corrupted by the darkness that he's come from that the havoc, that he even still wreaks havoc on women, but not havoc on women who he loves, but he's also wreaking havoc. Unfortunately, his havoc is far more chaotic than the havoc of other people and far, far darker. So his, in a weird way, him killing uh, the 14-year-old prostitute in the movie is, in fact, a kind of a dark mirror of what's going on in everyone else's story because everyone else has a woman and so what's the analog for Wayne Grove? He doesn't have a love. He doesn't have a wife. That, he doesn't that have a does round out his character somewhat there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can it's like that. it's basically a way of if a guy is this evil and will kill someone just for fun and will torture Danny Trejo and then kill his wife and do all the things he has to do in the movie, what would his scene with a woman be like? And was so this, was and this his, Trejo's first movie? Uh, no, he had been in uh, Desperado prior to this. That's where because he, he's yeah. a cu- he's he's uh, Robert Rodriguez's cousin. Although, although interestingly, his character's name is Trejo yes. in this movie. Yes, his character's yeah, is. name is Trejo. They were like, that's good enough. Well, it's because the character's name was probably Fitzgerald originally, <laughs> and they cast him in it. And they were like, we need Shit. another name, but I I don't have time. Your name will do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I uh, guess I guess. Uh, oh, that's true. By the way. We, yeah, we don't even really... Well, never mind, never mind. So we don't even really see much of Danny Trejo's uh, woman in the film, but she does factor in to his... Massively. Uh, to to the, the, yep. his ending there. Yeah, he, he, he would rather die than recover yep. without her. Well, even prior to that, what brings them down? Why are they... Why is their bank robbery unsuccessful? Their bank robbery... It, it happens off screen, but he says it explicitly. When, he's, when Danny Trejo's dying, he says that he gave them up because Wayne Grove was... A hat. He says he had Anna, so uh, so he so the whole reason their entire bank robbery is ultimately foiled is because Danny Trejo loved a woman and Wayne because he he could have tortured Danny Trejo on his own and he never would have given up Neil, but he tortured Danny Trejo's woman and therefore he gave up Neil and therefore the cops were there uh, in order to kill all of the guys. This this reminds me of and I've presented this theory before on this show. Mm. Uh, the theory that Predator is uh, actually a story about um, femininity destroying masculine relationships. Yeah. And I think now that you're talking about it, 
I'm I'm pretty fucking sure that this movie mm-hmm. this movie's about how everyone should have just been super gay. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're all if, super gay. If they had all just been fucking each other, everything would have been a lot if better. They're all just about If it had been D, like ancient Sparta, that would have been that would have worked out just It would have been yeah. totally fine. After the coffee scene, there would have been a scene of Al Pacino and, and Robert De Niro in bed and then this God entire thing wouldn't have Why 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 yeah. are you taking it destruction? <laughs> yeah, uh have an, another thing that I uh, want to bring up it's like an ethics question mm. that this this movie presented to me and it's when uh neil de niro's character catches val kilmer's wife with mm. with the other guy with mm. hank azaria who Armin has trained at a crossfit gym see we all Full circle we all tie Damn. together yeah what what is the move if you're mm. de niro's character that this this is your mm-hmm. homie this yeah. is this is this would be the equivalent mm. what would you want me to do, Armin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then well, I'll tell you what I'd want you to do. All right. So I think it's really interesting because in that movie, in that scene, Robert De Niro isn't trying to like like make his bro feel better. He's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know he's a piece of shit, but give him one more chance. Yeah, right. You know I mean, like that's his move. His yeah. move is like you're doing the right thing, but I can't let you do the right thing on this one. Like you have to you have to take this piece of shit. Yeah, and yeah. You have to stick with them for a and, little bit longer. And he's not just doing it. The thing is, it's not just about, hey, get back with him, you know, because for rent. It's because he knows that Chris is a chaotic character, is just so fucking much. just gambling and drinking and that she's the stabilizing force in his life. So he's trying to keep stability in his crew. And so he goes to her and he level. just. Like he even he offers to pay for her if it doesn't work out. He's like, but one more chance because he knows that if she walks away, then uh, the everything whole falls apart. Off. Yeah. yeah. So exactly. what would you want us to do, Chase? You gotta yeah. merc that motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> you want us to kill Hank Azaria? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking kill that dude. I don't know. I guess, he's pretty fit though. Yeah. The, well, I guess the people who are like taking umbrage with Apu are gonna be really happy about no, that. That's so. true. And that's then you gotta true. tell me that you murked him. All right. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I do like um, of all the people. The only one on the bad guy's side, I don't even know if it's the bad guy's side. It's hard to say whether the they're... The criminal side, They're sure. definitely bad guys. Yeah, but Grove is the only real bad guy the, in the movie. The, well, on William Fickner. The, the, only, one, the only one on their side, on the criminal crew, that actually makes it out, or in some sort of ambiguity makes it out, is Val Kilmer. He does mm-hmm. make it out, but with the woman who rises and sets with his life there, she's right. gone. He's he, crushed. He's left everything like, that made yeah. him him behind in order to in order to survive this she is, situation. She is tragically Damn, that, uh, that destroyed was a baller the life. line. But to get say. it. The mm. only what when, whenever he's like he's like uh, I forget if the nearest like, do you love her? And, set, yeah, yeah. and he's like, sun rises and sets with her, man. I was like, no, damn. No, no. This yeah. is fucking Shakespeare right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how I feel about pancakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think it, what's interesting is if you look at the, the turns of all of their arcs and what's happening mm-hmm. to them at, and at any moment, uh, a lot of it can be traced back to their interaction with the women in their life. Mm-hmm. So the one time where things go the way they should and like end up positive for Val Kilmer is when he listens to when he listens to her when she's like, this isn't good. Like, you know, does a little hand gesture and Mm -hmm. he turns around and he's like, Hey guys, you know where a good place to get a bite to eat around here is? And Mm -hmm. like, you know, he drives away. But uh where, you know, Neil doesn't listen to Edie Edie's like, mm. do, you, do you sure we are you sure we have time for this? And he's like, I've got time to kill somebody. Of course, why yeah, wouldn't yeah. I have time to kill somebody and like yeah. wreak havoc Vengeance in this fucking? There's no time. Yeah. yeah, or like you know the when um, when they're uh, fucking Vincent Hanna, which I thought he said Hammer once, and I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> his name is Vincent Hammer. That's that's the worst fake name I've ever heard in my entire life. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, 
when he is at the hospital with Justine and he kind of gets her blessing at the end there. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's this there's this kind of this theme of like, oh, when they're when they are aligned with the women mm-hmm. in their life, something positive ends up happening as opposed to, you know, fucking Neil gets shot a bunch of times and, you know, mm-hmm. everyone else gets fucked in the A. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I effed in the A. And of course, you talk about uh, e, the thing with Edie at the end. That's great. He goes in to the, there's the whole hotel sequence, you know, kills Wayne Grove. Oh, and dude, then that he, la- the last scene where she yeah. last sees him. Yeah. yeah as, uh-huh. as harsh. And that's the thing is that like, but it becomes it's like things are arranged such that it becomes a literal, a literal manifestation of his saying. So he there she is in front of him, and literally the heat starts coming around the corner. Like Al Pacino emerges from the crowd and starts walking towards him, and so he has to walk out on her because the heat's coming around the corner. Now, here's a, here's yeah. a fun fact about that scene. Mm. That scene, he makes that decision in twelve sec- in 30 seconds or less. Ah, he does. He yeah, does. From the, 30 from the, seconds flat. 30 seconds flat from, yeah. when he, from when he notices the heat coming around the corner, it takes him 30 seconds to, to I would like to time that. Out. It oh, wouldn't that would be, be it wouldn't surprise me if it's if Michael Mann was that obsessive that he made it literally <laughs> 30 seconds on the nose. Yeah. That would be awesome. Dude, that's a tough scene to watch. Yeah. yeah. There's another moment where it's I was just like, <laughs> get in the fucking car. Chase, it never gets easier. I'll just tell you that right now. Just kick Al Pacino in the nuts and get in the car and drive. <laughs> it never Shoot gets any easier. Because that's the problem is that he knows if he gets in the car, she's involved. And so he can't, he, he, if he even gets in the car and tries to get away, now she's part of it. And that's why he has to walk away at that moment. And they even include the moment where the thing that draws Al Pacino in that direction is he sees a woman alone in a car. He doesn't see Robert De Niro at first. He's in the mess of the crowd. He looks to the crowd. He sees just a woman sitting alone in a car looking, and he starts walking towards the woman, and then Robert De Niro comes out. And I think that that is subtle, but it's very intentional to let you, just to kind of cue the audience in. It's like he, it's not that he runs away because he's trying to avoid getting arrested. Uh, I mean, there is that, but he's running away because he knows if he takes one more step, or if he even waits there for a second and she gets out and comes to him, now she's involved, now she's part of it. So he has to just run immediately mm. in order to protect her. So, yeah. yeah. And it also has a great Michael Mann-esque showdown at the very end mm. where the environment and everything everyone knows about each other in the movie comes to play into one special moment mm. where it's like... Uh, just, just, just fucking like ten- tension, tension, mm-hmm. tension until the very last second. It's fucking, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. He they does do the same it. thing in Collateral. Super well done. Yeah, no I, spoilers. Uh, I haven't seen it. No, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, no. The, what's great is that it's like this just tense shootout at the end. But again, everything is heightened to these, you know, to these to to an operatic degree. So you literally have just. Again, watch it on a big stereo system, turn it up, but just 747s just tearing over your head, lights that rise and fall. You know that he was just at an airport watching those lights rise and fall and the plane's landing, and he's like, I'm going to put something out there, and he does. <laughs> and it's amazing that he was able to do that. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's funny. I remember... Um, I remember uh, there's little things. Like Michael Mann, in order to research... So fun... One of my favorite, 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 favorite moments in the movie is, of course, the thing where they're initially drilling in to try and hack the security system. And there's a stakeout, and Al Pacino is there all watching him. And then, uh, like, the, uh, like, dick SWAT officer, like, sits down, and his gun just bumps the thing. And and, and then Robert De Niro hears the bump. Like, he hears just a a little far-off sound in the street. And 
he immediately raises the alarm and then they just walk away. They walk away from the job and then the guy's like, well, then the SWAT guy's like, oh, we can't just let him go and uh, we we can't just let him walk. He says, no, they're going to walk. That's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to walk. You know, I have tactical command. That supersedes your rank. It's my operation and they will walk. And he goes, throws the fucking thing down. Love it. Um, But that is apparently based on a story, one of the many stories uh, that Michael Mann had from spending time with actual cops and robbers researching his other projects where he talks about guys were staking out uh, i forget it was like a it was a building with multiple stories like an office building or something like that and there's and he's talking to like the robber and he had also to like who's like again one of those Mike, like a real life version of michael mann's characters from thief and from heat you know it was a big robbery he'd been planning it for months or whatever and he was breaking in and the people who were staking at him out were on the floor above and some rookie cop like just walked across a room when he shouldn't have walked across a room and he was down there and he just heard like four footsteps above him and he just when he heard the four footsteps he just dropped everything and walked away from this from this uh, burglary that he had been planning and stuff and he said that he was so shocked by that level of discipline that this that this this burglar is not like an impulsive kind of a guy but he's a guy who heard footsteps and then just walked out on this this thing uh, in like just this little tiny fuck up, and that was a big inspiration for the character of Neil, and that and the a direct inspiration for that movie Damn. where he that that moment in the movie. So. Yeah, I also loved watching Robert De Niro step back, literally step back into the shadows. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, one kind of fun thing is Michael Mann has a very interesting like blue collar sensibility. He spent a lot of time, you know, hanging out with cops, researching with cops. Uh, same thing with ex cons, spent a lot of time around ex cons and all of that. Um, when you watch the opening 10 minutes of the dark Knight, uh, you'll kind of notice that it, it just feels like it's missing something, you know, the opening 10 minutes. And again, it's great in its own way, but when you realize how closely that Christopher Nolan is trying to emulate uh, Michael Mann, you know, if you watch them back to back, the similarities do not benefit the Dark Knight. It kind of feels like a cheap, clumsy version of Heat. It lacks it lacks a certain uh, authenticity. It lacks a texture that Michael Mann stuff has. Um, so this comes up and I strongly recommend on the, the special edition Blu-ray, they have this big conversation between Christopher Nolan, Michael Mann, uh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino at the DGA theater. The rest of the cast comes out eventually and they all have this big conversation. So it's really interesting, uh, because Christopher Nolan talks specifically about one a detail that I've always loved, which is he talks about, you know, these authentic details in the movie, like when they go in and they find the big things of money that are wrapped in plastic and how, how Val Kilmer slashes the plastic, then lifts the money up and breaks it like a bag of ice basically to loosen it up. So it's easier to carry. And he's like, how do you get that authentic detail in your movies? And Michael Mann is like, well, I mean, it just comes from spending a lot of time, you know, a lot of time with, you know, with cops, a lot of time with ex-cons, you know, working with them. And you could see the look on Christopher Nolan's face. He's like, ew. (laughs) He's like, Christopher Nolan's like, I am going to sit in my room drinking tea and imagining things. I'm not going to deign to, to sit in a car with... 
with ex-cons and things. And that's why Christopher Nolan's film feels so thin by comparison to Michael Mann's film is all of those little details. It's just like the moves are there in the, in the beginning of Dark Knight. The moves are there, but it's all comic book shit. It's people like firing grappling hooks out of guns. And there's like a couple things that he just stole directly from Heat. But it lacks any kind of authenticity because he doesn't have those textural details that uh, that that Michael Mann has. What are some of the lines even between the criminals and that? Oh, well, then there's the other thing that, that does not work to the benefit of, of, of Dark Knight is the fact that when you watch Heat, all these robbery scenes take place in relative silence. There's a little bit of score for tension, but you just see the men working, and therefore you're really looking at the detail of what they're doing. Um, and uh, whereas in Dark Knight, they're doing the same thing, and then they have all these shitty 80-yard lines from the robbers just tacked over the top of it, where they're like, hey, have you heard about this guy, the Joker? I hear he wears face paint, you know? <laughs> and like, and it's, just, and it's just constant, and I feel like, you know, it's one of those things that after watching Heat and then watching Dark Knight immediately afterwards, you're kind of like... Oh God! It's like it's like someone watched like the silent version of the first five minutes of that movie and says, "There's no talking here. This is not working." And they just threw in a bunch of shitty ADR lines about. So I guess we're robbing a bank or something. I don't know. <laughs> and it's like that's now all I can hear no. when I look at the opening. I still text. like it. No, Can't I lo- make me budge. I love, it's, I, I, I love it's the Dark overall. Knight. It's, it's a good movie. Yeah. They're lesser. They're lesser quality qu- criminals. Yes, they're they're, they're, they're correct. But uh, it's no. This opening sequence of Dark Knight is brilliant in its own way. But I don't. I think it comes up short in its attempt to emulate that those the the uh, the the texture of a Michael Mann movie and the ways in which it comes up short of that texture. I think is really interesting uh, to look at back to back. So strong recommend considering they're both on Netflix right now. You can watch Heat and then immediately start. I uh, think uh, I know what night. I'm doing tomorrow night. Oh, yes. I'm just having a fun time imagining Christopher Nolan trying to hang out with <laughs> cons there. Imagining what would happen to him after a few minutes of interaction. Uh, they took away uh, your afternoon tea. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so spot on. All of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another fun moment from that. Another fun dickish Christopher Nolan moment. I think I talked about this on an old episode of the podcast, actually. But it was the fact that uh, uh, Christopher Nolan is talking to Italian name. I forget the the, the DP of Heat. There's talking to the cinematographer for Heat, and he is. Uh, and the, the cinematographer, and this is in that big DGA Q&A, the cinematographer is saying, like, you know, back in the day we did, the, we did, we colored the film as best we could, but now, thankfully, we have all of this great digital technology, which is, of course, in, in, in Christopher Nolan world, is fucking anathema to even bring up. He says, we have all this amazing digital technology, so we were able to do this 4K scan of the movie, and we were able to digitally color grade the movie, and now the movie, and because they literally just watched the digital color graded version, I guess, at, at the DGA Theater, he's like, now the film looks better than it ever has before. And then Christopher Nolan can't help but chime in, and he goes, well, I think the 35mm version of the film looked pretty good too. And then the guy, again, because he's the cinematographer of the movie, you know, he says, no, but really, I mean, like, and he says, like, in the airport scene in this, it really looks a lot better now than it ever has before. <laughs> just and Christop- missing the point. <laughs> and, Chris- and Christopher Nolan just can't let it go. He just can't let it go. We're here to honor this guy and his work, but Christopher Nolan's like, well, and I forget what he says. I Fuck, I'm, I'm forgetting it, but he says something to the effect of, well... I still think the film looks better. And then he moves on with the rest of the thing. He's like, <laughs> you fucking can't let it go, man. He just, he is so fetishized film over digital that he just can't let it go. And you know what? Dunkirk. Yeah, fuck. Mm-hmm. God damn it. 
Yeah, that movie wasn't good. No. no. I still haven't watched it. It's, it was I a big Harry Styles fan, too, and I, I can't believe it. I watched it on an airplane. It was punishing. And uh, it's, it's it's not that good. The, it made your plane flight seem as long as Tom Hardy's. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. It made a two-minute flight seem like nine hours. Isn't that a good argument as to why Venom's probably going to be bad? Like, most people are just like, Tom Hardy doesn't make bad movies. And I go, uh, Dunkirk. Yeah, I don't know. I think that... I don't uh, think Tom Hardy's going to be the reason why Venom's bad. No, no. Man. I think, I think it's, everyone uh, else involved in that project. That's a lie. Tom Hardy's been in a bunch of bad movies. He's, they just haven't... There's just been smaller movies. Yeah. You know? That's a good um, point. Keep yeah. your failures small. That's right. But, uh, yeah. I don't know what our next movie is going to be. We're going to have to discuss and talk about it. I think, yeah. I think we should pick something. Uh, I think this was really good. Yeah. We are definitely going to be doing The Good Place. Oh, yeah. That for sure for is going to happen. Fuck sure. Because I'm hooked. it yeah. is uh, so fucking good. Yeah. So I think we should just collectively chase, finish binging, arm and finish binging, and then we'll hopefully pick up with The Good Place when season three starts here in a few weeks correct um, do we want to uh, open up the next movie for recommendations from yes the crowd? absolutely yeah, that's a great, that's that's a great point fantastic. if you guys do have any recommendations now that you've heard us talk about you know heat ad nauseum for almost an hour if you have any suggestions as to what you'd want us to talk about mm-hmm. next and get really fucking in depth on just hit it on over i, I think the only restriction that we're going to put on this is it has to either be on netflix or amazon prime yeah so yep. it has to either be available for streaming on Netflix or streaming on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. Mm-hmm. Maybe Hulu we would make a, a an exception for. Hub. But I think honestly, let's go Netflix <laughs> or Amazon Prime. Poss- possibly HBO now. We'll loop that one in maybe. Yeah. Just, just, just give us suggestions that are, that are most <laughs> widely available to everybody. And you can send those suggestions to the show. You can send it to any one of us individually. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's go to wrap it up, guys. It's been really good. Yeah, I am at Mr. Kyle Bogart on the most sensual Instagram account on the internet. I am at Cliff Bogart on an Instagram account still lost in the wind. <laughs> you can find me at Chase504 on Instagram and Twitter as well. And you can find me at Arm and Hammer TV. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And we will catch you next week. Later. Later. So Great ass. Great ass. <laughs>